So flip to Genesis 24. While you're doing that, uh, let me read to you a couple of verses. Hosea chapter 12, verse 10, tells us the following. God is speaking, and He says, I have also spoken by My servants the prophets, and I have multiplied visions, and I have used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Similitudes. Now, you've heard it said that the Bible is just a book of allegories and metaphors. I'm sure you've heard that somewhere. Growing up, every now and then I'd run into someone who'd say, Oh, it's just it's a metaphorical book. How can you take any of it literally? It's nice and nice teachings, but that's all it really is. Metaphors and allegories, and folks, I mean no offense by this, but that's a small-minded half-truth. The reality is that the Bible is a book to be taken literally. But it is also a book that has allegories and metaphors woven throughout. It is a literal rendering of history. Though it doesn't claim to be a history book, it's 100% accurate. You can measure history by it. But it's also a book that teaches us things, shows us things, and relevant things. In fact, what's amazing about studying scripture is it takes history and brings it into the relevance of today. For example, just this last week, on Wednesday night, we studied Genesis 23. And in that chapter, Sarah dies. And Abraham buys a cave, a cave called, in a place called Machpelah, which is in Hebron. And when he bought the cave, he bought it as the only lamb that he would purchase his entire life to bury his wife there in Hebron. Just this last week, Ariel Sharon came up with a plan to give 85% of the West Bank back or, or aside, not back, to give it to the Palestinians. Part of the 15% that he refuses to give back and is not in his plan is causing a big stir. It's a place called Hebron. The very place, the burial of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. Now, as we read on, you're going to see some amazing things this morning, some similitudes some symbols, some allegories, some metaphors that are woven across the historical narrative. The historical narrative is accurate. It is true. It is literal. The metaphors are pictures that God weaves for us. Why? Because God is so big. Because He is so huge and so awesome and so grand. Because His message to us is so phenomenal. He has woven it through the very pages of history itself. History reveals God's design. And it takes history to understand his story. Proverbs 25 verse 2 tells us it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So let's get royal this morning. Let's be like kings. Let's search out a matter and understand some things. Now last week we saw a dramatic picture develop, a portrait. We talked about this, that as Abraham took Isaac up Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22, it is a picture, a stunning picture of the cross and of Jesus' crucifixion. It's also a picture of his resurrection and ascension. Look in your Bibles, flip back to Genesis 22:19, And in this verse it tells us after all this had happened, that Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now as this picture comes into clear focus, the Bible tells us Abraham comes back down Mount Moriah. But the Bible fails to mention Isaac. Isaac's not there. 
Well, he is there. I'm, I'm sure historically he was there. I'm sure Isaac came back down the mountain with, with Abraham and went with him. But the Holy Spirit determined in the writing of Scripture to omit Isaac's name. And in fact, you won't see Isaac again until this morning's study. This is a similitude, a portrait. The missing Isaac gives us a picture of the resurrected, ascended Jesus. After the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus goes missing at least for three days. Then he resurrects. He's seen for a little while, but then he's just gone. And for the past 2,000 years, we're looking around. I heard a great thing the other day. People, It was an email I got. People complaining about the anti-Semitic attitude of the Passion. And saying, you know, who, who really killed Jesus? Well, why does it matter who killed Jesus? He's alive. He's alive. So who cares who killed him? He's alive today. But he's missing. He's not here. We haven't seen him for 2,000 years. In the same way, Isaac goes missing. It's interesting. Abraham comes down. Moriah, Isaac isn't there. Chapter 23, Sarah dies and is buried in Hebron. Isaac is not at his mother's funeral. Odd. Now, I'm sure he was at her funeral, but not in the pages of Scripture. His name is missing. Abraham then, in chapter 24, sends his servant to get Isaac a wife. But Isaac isn't even present for the discussion. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We better pray before we go any further. Father, give us insight this morning, Lord, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds to your word. The Holy Spirit, as we ask every week, as we open these pages, we ask you to teach us. We ask you to inform us and educate us and to write these words on our hearts and in our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. So Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, you're reading that right, and I will make you swear by the Lord, that the, God, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, before we read any further, and we're going to read a little bit more. This is a long chapter and there's a bunch of stuff here. What's up with the thigh? We got to know. <laughs> it's not something you see every day. Someone doesn't walk up to you and go, hey, I want to strike a deal with you. Put your hand under my thigh. <laughs> no deal. I'll just move on. Thanks. <laughs> Folks, it may seem odd to, this, to us, but it was a very serious thing. It was a solemn sign that if the oath was not carried out, check this out, the children born to Abraham would avenge the servant's unfaithfulness. It was a graphic picture. Place your hand under my thigh. Near, and I'm sorry if this is a little on the edge, but near the place where procreation comes from, because what will happen here is this is so serious. If you don't keep your oath to me now, the children that I procreate will avenge you not keeping my word. It was a serious sign. By the way, we know the oldest of Abraham's servants, the oldest of his household, and, and you need to know his name. It matters greatly to our understanding of the story. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we read his name. It's given to us clearly. Eleazar. Now, Eleazar, well, hang on. I'll tell you about him in just a minute. 
But his name is incredibly important and relevant to what we're studying. Look in verse 10. We're going to skip down, just kind of skip around. Wednesday night, if you want the full picture of this story, we'll come back and study it through. Verse 10 in chapter, in chapter 24. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. Now he said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it, plead, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. She may be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, in this part of the story... See what's happening here. Eliezer has been sent on a mission by Abraham. A very serious mission, mind you. And in this mission, he's told, get a wife from my people for my son. And as Eliezer's walking along, he's beginning to think, now how am I going to know? How am I going to make the right decision? This is huge. And so he begins to pray. And he asks God for a very specific sign. We're going to talk about prayer a little more on Wednesday night because it's very interesting how he prays here. Because Eleazar is not praying in his own will. He's praying for God's will. Show me what you want, Lord. Show me what you would like to see happen here. Give me a sign. Have this woman come down and not only have her offer me a drink of water, but also have her water my camels. Now that's a big deal. Watering camels takes some time. He has ten camels. These are thirsty beasts and they can drink a lot. It would mean pulling the water up out of the well, going over, pouring it in, getting the first camel watered, then going back and doing it ten times. It's a lot of work. This is a commitment. And so he's asking for something to show him the clear truth of what God wants to have happen. Skip all the way now to verse 61. Possibly the most important verse in the chapter, certainly to our study this morning. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels... And they followed the man, so the servant took Rebekah and departed. This happens after Eliezer now has found her. Now, to understand the depth of this story and what's going on here, there are three things you need to know that the scriptures explain themselves. Number one, Abraham and Isaac are pictures of God the Father and Jesus the Son. I know that's clear, we've talked about it, but just in case anybody missed it, they are pictures, similitudes of the Father and the Son. Father Abraham, Son Isaac, Father God, Son Jesus. And John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Secondly, Eleazar is a stunning portrait of God's Holy Spirit. He is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know that? The name Eleazar means helper. Or God is my help. John chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus is saying, I will ask the Father and he'll give you a helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Eliezer, helper. Jesus says, I will offer another helper. Eliezer is a picture for us here of the Holy Spirit. But there's more. 
In Genesis 15 too, he's called Eliezer of Damascus. The word Damascus, though it is a city of a town, and that's just where Eliezer is from, the word also means silent as a weaver of sackcloth. Silent as a weaver of sackcloth. Now sackcloth in the Bible is a very clear picture of humility. If someone is confessing their sin or repenting before the Lord, oftentimes they will wear sackcloth. They'll put on sackcloth as a show of humility. And the Holy Spirit is very humble in how He works. Furthermore, the weaver, the silent weaver here, is a picture of a quiet helper going about his work as the Holy Spirit works in the world today silently, quietly, doing his thing, moving among his people, affecting the world through the church. John chapter 16 verse 12. Jesus says the following. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. There is a humble intimacy in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The humility is amazing in how God functions as three in one. Jesus speaks the Father's will. The Spirit speaks Jesus' will, which in turn is the will of the Father. It's a beautiful portrait. And John 15:26 says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. Don't miss that. Folks, the primary role, a priori for the Holy Spirit, His main job is to testify about Jesus. That's number one. That's over any gifts that He gives me. That's over any actions that He pours out in the body among believers. Number one priority for the Holy Spirit is to speak the name of Jesus. To testify to the person of Jesus. And by the way, in a world of false teachers and scam artists, if you want to know for sure, if you, if you want to have absolute certainty that someone is teaching you, is led by the Holy Spirit, they will testify about Jesus. If they're not testifying about Jesus, red flag. Because the Spirit's main role is to testify about the Son. And the Holy Spirit is testifying about Jesus today, and He's doing the same thing as Eliezer. And what's that? He's going to get Rebecca. And that's the third thing that you need to know. My favorite picture of Cheryl. My wife. Everybody look at Cheryl. Because <laughs> that's what everybody does. Whenever I mention her in the middle of a talk or something, everybody's, where is she? I gotta see her. You know what, she, she's right there. Anyway, my favorite picture of her is a wedding picture that we have. And, and she's wearing this hat that I picked out. Thank you. It's very 80s, but it's very cool. And it, it's kind of, it lets the sun through, and the, the photographer did a phenomenal job. He's, he's got her in the sunlight, and the sun's kind of coming through, and you see her face, it's kind of got a glow of that. It's just a beautiful picture. I love looking at that portrait. In the same way, Rebecca is a portrait, a beautiful bridal portrait of the church. So as we read this story, Abraham is as God the Father, Isaac like Jesus the Son, Eliezer is like the Holy Spirit, and Rebecca is a picture of the church. Now let me read a little bit more of the story to you. Verse 15 of Genesis 24. 
Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with... See, that's why we have last names. <laughs> A little easier for us. She came out with her jar on her shoulder. Verse 16. The girl was very beautiful. A virgin. And no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when he had, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. And Eliezer starting to freak out. That's what I prayed. Right on. So she quickly emptied her jar. I don't know if he said right on. But she quickly, quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who, whom she bore to Nahor. And again she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. And the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Abraham said, go get someone from my family, and he did. And the Lord led him directly to Rebekah, an awesome picture. And the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Folks, Rebekah is a picture of the church. In the Bible, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to go fetch the bride of Christ and prepare her for the great marriage feast soon to come. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. Paul is talking to a particular church in Corinth. And he says, I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Kind of like Rebecca. Revelation 19 verse 7 tells us, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Folks, it is the church. It's the church. Now, I want you to see this morning three actions of God's Eliezer, His servant helper, the Holy Spirit, in relation to the church. Now, there are many more things He does. But this morning, simply three from our story, and the first one is this. The servant chooses the bride. The servant chooses the bride. Again, Eliezer has an awesome responsibility. Abraham's old can't make the journey himself, so he sends his servant to choose the bride in the same way that the Holy Spirit chooses the church. Not the pastor. Not the elders. Not a denominational board. Not a group of men somewhere who sit down and determine who's in and who's out. The Holy Spirit, the servant, chooses the bride. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us. In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. 
And in verse 13, Paul writes, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the, with the Holy Spirit of promise. What this means, folks, is that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been chosen by the Holy Spirit as the bride of Christ. John chapter 6 verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. You didn't make the first move. You didn't make the first decision. You didn't one day wake up and go, I think I want to follow Jesus. I think today I'll become a Christian. The whole while, that quiet servant, that weaver of sackcloth, was humbly working on your heart, bringing you to the place because he chose you. The servant chooses the bride. Well, wait a minute. How, how do I know? How do I know that I've been chosen? Have you come to Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted him in your life? Then it's a done deal. You're chosen. 1 John 5.13 tells us, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is not guesswork. If you have come to the Lord and given your life to him... You have it. You have been chosen. All right. But I'm not a Christian. So how do I know that horn belongs to my car? Isn't it great? We got kids. We got horns. We got it all at the bridge. By the way, a little side note, if, if you happen to have kids with you and they just go off, God bless you, that's okay. I mean, take them outside, but that's okay. <laughs> We're family here. We need to know, folks, that we have been chosen. And if you're not a Christian, you're saying, wait a minute, if I'm not a Christian, that means I'm not chosen, so God didn't choose me, right? Well, there's an easy way to deal with that. Choose Him today and you will have been chosen. That's all you have to do. Alright, that's circle talk, isn't it? No, it's not. God refuses to remove your choice from the mix. He chooses you. He chooses me. He has chosen each and every one of us to be a part of the bride of Christ. But He will not take your choice from you. That is your decision. Look at Genesis 24, 58. Verse 58 tells us, Then they called Rebekah, and they said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Rebekah chose to go to Isaac. But the servant chose Rebekah. And up until this point, as you read the story, you kind of think this whole deal has been made without her. No, it hasn't. She is given first right of refusal. She has first opportunity to say, Yes, I will go, or no, you're out of your mind. Rebecca was chosen, but Rebecca chose to be part of the bride, to be the bride. Number two, not only does the servant choose the bride, but the servant, this is interesting, clothes the bride. The servant clothes the bride. Look at verse 53 in Rebecca's story. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. This is wonderful. Part of the portrait. Eliezer gives Rebecca clothing to wear back to Isaac and that's what the Holy Spirit does for you and for me when we come to Christ. He gives us new clothing. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation 19, verse 7, Again, let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. And then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. It was given to her. The bride was given the wedding clothes. The righteous acts of the saints. But there's a problem. I read something like that and I think, okay, if the wedding clothes are the righteous acts of the saints, and I know how my last week went, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm going to have to borrow some other saints' righteous acts. problem is, if you go look at all the other saints, and saints just a highfalutin word for believer, Christian, if I go look at all the other saints, their clothes aren't too much better than mine. No offense. But folks, we all are wearing in our own lives filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Wow. All of us will wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That's why we need the wedding clothes. That's why we need the Spirit to clothe us. Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We, the bride, the church folks, are robed in righteousness. Given to us by the servant, the Holy Spirit. But wait a minute. You're telling me the church is robed in righteousness. I've seen the church do some pretty awful things. Let me just see a show of hands. Anybody here ever see the church do a negative thing? Just raise your hand if you've seen something bad done in the church. Okay, that's pretty much most of us, and some of you maybe you just haven't been to church before. <laughs> Gang, I've seen all kinds of horrendous things done in the name of the church, in the name of Jesus. But two things you need to understand. Number one, the church, God's church, is not necessarily the church as the world sees it. The Lord's church may not be the church that everybody thinks it is. Acts 2.47 tells us the Lord adds to His church daily those who are being saved. Again, not a board, not a man, not a group of people. One of the reasons why we don't have any kind of membership at the bridge, you show up, you come, you're part of the family, is because we don't have the power to make that determination. That's up to the Lord. You give your life to the Lord, you start coming here, you're a member, you're part. You're, you're part of the deal. You're family. But not only is God's church not necessarily the church as the world sees it, secondly, it's only because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church that the church has ever done anything good. If the Spirit wasn't intimately involved with us, working through and as a part of the church, we would be horrible. You think the church has done bad things in history? Praise God that the Spirit is working among us and so many good things have happened, but it's because of Him, not because of us. Besides the fact, if you've ever complained about the church, just know that if it was perfect, you couldn't belong. <laughs> we need the robes of righteousness that only the Spirit of Christ by the blood of Christ can give. Isaiah 1.18, God says, come now. Let's reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, man, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, 
they will be like wool. We need the clothing that the servant brings. The church will wear fine linen, bright and clean, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. But the righteous acts of the saints are those things the Spirit does through us and in many times in spite of us. So the Spirit chooses the bride. The Spirit clothes the bride and check this out and really dig in here because this is hard. The servant comes home with the bride. Servant comes home with the bride. This is incredibly important. Again, verse 61, Rebekah arose with her maids and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And what we see is between verses here, between verse 61 and 62, is a journey. A 500 mile journey, by the way. When the servant went to get Rebecca, Eliezer had to travel a long, long distance. When he finally finds her, he's so excited. The first time, first moment, he actually comes to Abraham's people's territory, and there she is right at the beginning. And you'll see in the story, if you come Wednesday night, he can't wait to get Rebecca back to Abraham and Isaac and to show what had happened. But it was a long journey. And the servant went with the bride. Folks, like Rebecca and Eliezer, the church and the spirit take a long journey home to Jesus together. And it's a wonderful journey. But it's a journey where the only way we can know how to get back to Jesus is with the help of the servant who knows the way. The spirit in our lives moving and teaching us, leading us down that path. But listen to this, there's even more. Flip in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now I have, I have struggled so much in the last few weeks especially because I can't tell you how many comments I've heard about the book of Revelation. People saying things like the following. It's just a hard book to understand so I don't read it. Or people saying, didn't those things happen before? Isn't that a past tense deal? Or, or people saying, you know what, that's just not something that, that we should touch. Folks, it's called the book of Revelation. <laughs> not the book of tough to understand, so please don't read it or you're getting yourself in trouble. It should be too long a title anyway. We are coming to a point, and I don't know if it will be when we finish Genesis or before. It just depends on if I can hold myself back. We are going to take a short-term three-week study and at least give some insight for those of you who have never studied it to take away the fear and the confusion because it is the easiest book in my mind in the Bible to understand and it is the most important now I tell you that because what I want to share with you right now is hard and, and some of you may go out of here kind of scratching your heads and it may not be Sunday morning material but you got to hear it the servant goes home with the bride the Holy Spirit goes with the church listen to this 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica and they've had some trouble. They think that this time of tribulation, which Paul has already taught them about, has come. They think they're in it. They think the day of the Lord has arrived and they somehow missed their chance to go home and be with Jesus. And they're afraid. They're frightened that they missed the coming of the Lord. And so Paul writes, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us apparently there was a letter circulating that was supposed to be from Paul but it really wasn't it was false to the effect that the day of the Lord has come and he says let no one in any way deceive you it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. What's, what's this mean? The apostasy. 
This means the falling away. Who's falling away? The church. But not the bride. The church that is left behind, you've heard the books out there. The church that is left here, after the true church, God's church, the people that He has added to the church daily, those who are being saved, after that church is gone, an apostasy will happen. And then, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. This is Antichrist. If you've heard any teaching on this whatsoever, when you hear the name Antichrist, everybody goes, oh, Antichrist, Antichrist, 666, beware. You know what? The church, the bride, according to the book of Revelation and a literal understanding of it, is gone. You won't even see the Antichrist. You may ask yourself a question. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for Jesus Christ or are you looking for Antichrist? I'm looking for Jesus. And the Bible tells us very clearly, and again, we'll get there, and if you don't see this or don't agree with me, ask me afterwards or, or, or hang on, we'll get there, that Jesus comes for the church, meets up with the church. Prior to this time of tribulation happening, let me show you a little bit more. Read on. Verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now. Talking about Antichrist. Oh, something restrains him? Yes. You know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the one right now that restrains the work of Antichrist and the evil of Antichrist in the world? It is the Holy Spirit working through the church. If you read the Bible and study it closely, it becomes very clear. You cannot separate the spirit from the bride. You cannot take the servant away from the bride until the servant's very serious job is completed. That is handing the bride off to the Son, Jesus. When that happens, the servant's job is done. But gang, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, when the church goes, the spirit goes, and then on earth, all hell will break loose. At that point. These things are hard. It's so important. Now you may say, okay, you're not going all left behind southern preacher on us, are you, Rick? Maybe a little. But only if the Bible indicates that I should. Gang... I'm a pastor teacher, and all I can do in my role here at the bridge is point out what Scripture already says, and hope that we all together can understand that the Spirit chooses the bride, that the Spirit clothes the bride, and that the Spirit will come home with the bride, but the question is, is the bride ready? Are you ready for Him to come back? Are you ready to be taken home with the Spirit? To see the son, your bridegroom, like Rebecca. I know it's a lot to take in on a Sunday morning, and, and like I said, soon we will look at this more closely so I can make more sense of some of these things. However, for now, as we conclude this morning, I want you to understand that my heart is for this little corner of the church, for this little fellowship, this little toe of the bride, to be ready when the bridegroom calls. To be ready to go with the servant, adorned and dressed, and looking forward to that time. 
Genesis 24:62. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living out in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. There's a picture of Jesus for you. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the camels were coming. Verse 64. These first five words I have underlined, highlighted, circled. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted, literally fell off the camel. That's what the word means. She fell off the camel. She saw him and was like, whoa. She jumped off the camel. And she said to the servant, who is that man walking to the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. And she took her veil and covered herself, which is what you do when you're going to meet the bridegroom. She was ready. Rebecca, lift up your eyes. Rebecca, look for your bridegroom. Rebecca, he's just over the hill. And he's coming to meet you.